1972, the U.S. government passed the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was a wide-sweeping set of laws aimed at making sure businesses make accommodations for people with disabilities. We have some quick tips on how you can make sure your website meets those regulations. That's next on Inbound Academy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Inbound Academy, brought to you by Risen. I am your host, Jeff Lambert. I'm back in the chair for this episode after letting Rod take over in the previous one. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about inclusion, uh, making sure that your business is accommodating every customer that you come in contact with. You know, we're used to seeing things like physical accommodations in stores like wheelchair ramps and accessible bathrooms and sight and hearing aids. And that takes care of the physical limitations that individuals might experience, but their digital experience should be inclusive as well and should be able to be accessible for anybody. So we need to talk about why that's important and how businesses can make that adjustment. So here to explain this topic a bit more deeply and to provide some guidance on some things that you can do is Nicole Mena. She's the creative director, director excuse me, at Risen. Nicole, welcome back. Thanks for having me again, Jeff. Absolutely. So, you know, this is a this is a topic I think we're all familiar with. We know that there's wheelchair ramps and elevators and physical accommodations for, you know, people as they go about their lives traveling physically. Yes. But this also uh, reaches over into the digital space as well. It does, yes, and it's so important to to make sure that you're covering all your bases, um, especially for specific business types. Yep. Sure. Yeah, and you know, I can think about. I honestly haven't had an experience where I've run into someone who has had to experience the frustration of like a digital limitation, but certainly in a physical sense, you know, my mother, she has to uh, use a wheelchair to get around everywhere. And when we go to a place that doesn't have accessibility options, it is very frustrating because all of a sudden that option is closed to us. So I can imagine that there's a similar frustration for people that are trying to access something digitally and they're not able to experience that full, uh, that full experience that we all get to enjoy as well. That's right. That's right. So I guess let's start off with a mini history lesson for everybody. And I mentioned it in the preview, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act, it was passed in 1990. And in 1990, the web was really just kicking off, right? I mean, wh- what are we talking about in terms of technology in 1990, Nicole? Do you remember? Um, vaguely, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it was definitely the Stone Age the internet and accessibility was not even not even an option, I believe. Right. So, yeah. I'm, I remember things like uh, using Lycos for a search engine or, or a <laughs> yeah. Netflix Navigator. Like that's when we used AOL. You know, the welcome and you've got mail. Exactly. <laughs> so we we've come a long way, obviously, since that time. So the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, doesn't specifically address requirements for websites, online requirements, but there's been amendments to that that have been passed, I guess, more in recent memory, right, Nicole? Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, and it's a complicated issue. And like you said, the internet is still pretty new considering, and really lawmakers are trying to keep up. Um, so, you know, the Title Three of the ADA, let's get into it, requires that Every owner, lesser, or operator of a quote-unquote public 
place of public accommodation provide this equal access to users who meet ADA standards of accessibility. And really with 1.6 billion people around the world making online purchases last year alone, um, it really seems that digital sites have a good chance of being lumped in uh, ever involved in, in, in court cases. So yeah, that, be careful. That is a lot of people, 1.6 billion purchases online. And we know that, uh, you know, an ever growing part of the population needs accessibility options. So I guess a good place to start, if I'm a business owner, I'm really measuring everything I do based on my bottom line. Can I afford to do this? I mean, I think we can all agree it's the right thing to do to be able to um, make your website as as accessible to everybody as possible. But I guess what are the regulations around this? Like, can I can I get a fine or go to jail if my website doesn't meet this amendment in the ADA? Yes, absolutely. And now, right now, it, and it's up to the courts to decide because there's so much gray area. So it's better to be safe and make sure that your website is accessible for everyone. Um, but ju- just a case in August of 2016 involving a University of California at Berkeley, the college was sued by a student because a YouTube video on their channel didn't include captions for hearing impaired visitors. <clears throat> and the Department of Justice found this <clears throat> to violate the ADA because deaf users did not have access to the online content. So if, if your business falls under that Title I, those that operate, let's say, 20 or more weeks per year with at least 15 full-time employees, or Title Three, which is considered a public accommodation, then this ADA rule really applies to you. And, um, you know, if you don't comply, this can leave you open to lawsuits, government oversight, and, and damage your brand reputation at the end of the day. So this is something business owners really need to take seriously because the the precedent's there. You just mentioned UC Berkeley. That's a big university. They just went through a lawsuit process. Yes, they did. And if it applies to you, you need to you need to move on it right now for sure. So I guess let's jump into I guess where we can start. It, you know, as business owners, we're working with our web developers or we have someone in house taking care of this. So you mentioned that it's kind of on a case-by-case basis, right? Like the, the courts yeah. are deciding if you fall under those provisions. Um, right. So I guess if the ADA requirements are just a bit older and there's that gray area, how do I know what to do? What Are, what, are there any guidelines that I can follow? There are. There are the, uh, what's called the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines that was put forth by the World Wide Web Um, consortium, which is like the United Nations of the internet, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, They put that out this year. So it's the best tool to use right now to make sure your website is compliant. And really, it rates your website on four categories using the POUR acronym. So P-O-U-R. P, is it perceivable? Is it operable? Is it understandable? And is it robust? Okay, so why don't we go ahead and break those down one by one then? Because you know that that's a lot of information, but it's good that we have a set, um, you know, uh, guideline that we can follow if we're going to hand this off to our developers or do this ourselves. And I'll make sure to put a link to the poor guidelines in the show notes for our listeners, so you can just click and go to be able to start rolling this out. So, with that said, Nicole, let's jump in. Uh, breaking these down one by one, you mentioned 
The first uh, letter in the poor acronym is obviously PEEP or perceivable. What does that refer to? So this refers to a user's ability to find and process that information. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, For those with vision or hearing issues, they rely on content being structured so you can really easily navigate it. Uh, Use semantic HTML for all written text, like headers, which convey more meaning to those who may only have one way to process that information. Um, a person with low vision can't view a video on your site. Is there an option for them to get an audio description of that content? Make sure you use alt text on your images. This allows for audio description generation. Um, and a resource you can use is youdescribe.org. You can just add your URL to uh, your YouTube video and you can record descriptions for your content for blind and low vision users. So these examples to make sure that your website is perceivable, they seem like they're not too hard to be able to implement. So like, I guess just going back to the first one you mentioned, making sure that you're using semantic HTML. When I'm writing up a a script for my website or or editing a web page, we're just talking about like using the H1 tag or the H2 tag or those kind of things, right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. And if I'm in like Microsoft Word or Google Docs, there's an easy way to be able to add those, correct? Yep. You just uh, format, uh, highlight and format in the top button there, and it'll tell you, um, I'll give you a drop down uh, for which heading title to use. So it's pretty easy. Got it. And and I, I'm throwing this at you a little bit blind, but I, I seem to remember reading that Google actually does rank websites on their use of semantic HTML, correct? It is, yes. So it's part of the, the SEO um, uh, strategies to, to make sure that you have those tags in place so that the search engines can um, read through your content more efficiently. Got it. And then you mentioned somebody with low vision if they're on, their we- on your website and they can't see a video that you've posted. An audio description, if I remember right, it literally is describing what's on the screen with each, with each um, shot or each scene, correct? Yes, yes. Even um, highlighting uh, certain content, then um, there's an option to read it back. So that is, that's used. I, even I use that sometimes depending on what I'm doing in, in the day. So Sure. Yeah, it's nice to have an audio option. And you can literally, like you said, just go to the website you mentioned, which I'll put in the show notes, and you add the URL to your YouTube video, and you're good to go. That's great. And just to break down one more piece of that, Nicole, how do I add alt text to my images if I'm in a website editor? Is that a simple process? Well, it does depend on the website editor, but if it's a robust editor, then you just have to edit the the image. Um, and it'll give you an option to add in that alt text. So you want to be descriptive with your alt text and make sure that it's uh, properly describing what that image is. Got it. So we're talking almost like a like a sentence describing what's happening in the photo. Is that a fair, uh, I guess, outline? Yeah, it can be a sentence, but it can it can be a short phrase. It doesn't have to be very long. Got it. Okay. So great. So, you know, making a website perceivable seems like a pretty straightforward process for people to be able to optimize their websites. Why don't we go to the next one? So again, going back to the POR acronym, we're talking about O, which stands for operable. What does that mean? 
So operable refers to a user's ability to navigate and use a website. So let's say a user can only use a keyboard and can't use a mouse. Uh, And you have your social media links at the bottom of your page. They can usually only be activated with a a click of a mouse, right? So there needs to be another option or another way to click that link, Um, maybe with a keyboard command or um, what I've seen used is the the tab key to move across the page and be able to select it. Um, So that's one way. Another is, let's say you have an online form on your site that uh, asks a user to select multiple options from a drop-down menu. If the user presses the control key and the click options, there needs to be another way to select them. So there's uh, another resource we have for you um, to add uh, an accessibility widget to your website. That's a great option. Hmm. Um, There's one called Equal Web. It offers a, a free widget that shows up on your site and it allows users to just adjust, let's say the color, the font, the cursor size, They can highlight links and headers or see those image descriptions. Um, And there's also a text reader that can be activated on there as well. Got it. So, yeah, we need to keep that in mind. Not everybody has the physical capability to be able to use a mouse or a trackpad to get around to different parts of the website. Um, You know, you mentioned about the the drop down menus. And honestly, I've never thought of that before. When you have like a multiple click option. You, you you need to be able to click multiple options. So I'm really, for the first time, thinking about what an experience, a digital experience must be like for someone with, especially in this case, physical limitations. It must be extremely frustrating to want to participate in something yes, and definitely. not to be able to. Right. Well, why don't we go to the next one? So we've got our perceivable, we have operable, the next one in the poor acronym would be understandable. Uh, what am I measuring according to the understandable rule? All right. So understandable uh, refers to the user's ability to obviously understand the website's content and learn and remember how to use the interface. So for example, if um, every page on a website displays the same set of links in a different order, it slows down the user's ability to use and understand the flow of the site. So you want to make sure your visual presentation is organized and uniform across the site. So that would include, I mean, yeah, that's a great point about like having links. If you have links in a certain place, make sure they're in the same order. I guess that would refer to everything, right? Your navigation tabs, your header, you want to, yeah, some uniformity. Okay. So that's a great tip. Uh, Any other examples of what this could apply to? Yeah. Um, so a registration form on your website that requires users to add uh, an email and a phone number. When they try to submit the form, if they get an error, um, it doesn't specify where the error is and how to fix it. Uh, now the user can't understand why the form can't be submitted. So you want to make sure that the error prompts on your forms are specific and working on all input areas on your site. That is the worst. I've had that happen before where you fill out like a five minute form and then it says changes are required when you submit and you you have to like literally scroll through the whole thing and hope you find the box that's highlighted in red. So man, sometimes it doesn't appear. So it's frustrating. Yeah. And so you're absolutely right. Sometimes it just doesn't show up and you're stuck in this guessing game. 
So I can see why, I mean, for everybody, that would certainly be a feature that would be uh, worth putting into play. Now, that's more of a, a back-end type of thing, right, Nicole? Like, I would have to probably talk to my developer to implement something like this. Yeah, that's basically checking for dead links. Um, so, I mean, and that's a really important and easy place to start uh, to meet the standards because you want to make sure that all of your links are working properly. Um, so you can use something like uh, the online broken link checker at brokenlinkcheck.com. It basically scans your site for these dead links for free, and then you can advise your developer to to fix those links for you. Great. Okay. So there is a straightforward way to kind of be able to at least identify um, the issues on your site. All right. So we have perceivable, we have operable, we have understandable. So that brings us to the last letter in our core acronym, which is robust. What the heck does that refer to? Okay. So users should have a choice in which technology they use to interact with uh, websites, media, and online documents. So for example, a website has features that require you to use Google Chrome. Um, and if a user doesn't or can't use that browser, how can that user experience the features of the site, right? Hmm. Yeah. Um, another example is an online training video requires a pay, paid plugin to play the web browser. If the user can't play the video in an accessible video player, how can he or she participate in the training? So hmm. this, is, this is another frustration for sure. Sure. That, that makes perfect sense because, you know, not only just you may not have the ability to access certain softwares based on income level or, you know, we're not just talking about physical disabilities here. We're talking about accessibility, even financially uh, yes. to be able to, to access features. And yeah, that, you know, there's even users that choose not to use certain softwares based on ethical reasons too. You know, there's, there's a pretty good subset, I think of the population that is become more wary of uh, Google and their services because of the, the tracking features that are often, you know, tied into it. So if I'm a dedicated Firefox user, right. one that takes privacy more seriously, I should have the option to be able to, you know, access these different things in the browser of my choice. It's a good point, Nicole. Yeah. Um, are there any resources you could recommend to make sure that, you know, my, I guess my offerings are robust, that I, I'm giving users a choice? Yes, there definitely is. So there is a, a Google uh, feature that you can use. It's called the mobile friendly test. And it's a, it's a really great way to see how quote unquote open your content is to everyone, regardless of the device they're using. So content may have worked really well on a computer when it's accessed with a mouse and a keyboard, but may not be easy to use when accessed on a tablet with only, you know, using the touch gestures. So we need to make sure that um, that your you know the accessibility is across each of the devices as well. Got it. So there's four acronyms here for me to follow: P O U R, and we've given some straightforward ways to be able to accomplish this. Now, this kind of begs the question: we've talked about that there is a law that covers that you need to make sure your site is accessible. Mm -hmm. You have the resources now to be able to do that. Where on my priority list should I put this? Is this top of the list, bottom of the list? What would you recommend? Yeah, fair question. So big changes to laws probably will be slow to evolve, but there is precedent and there are already guidelines that you can follow and should follow. Uh, it should be really a, a mid to long-term project for sure. 
just make sure it's on the list of things to begin doing in the foreseeable future, especially if you're one of those um, businesses that, that can be affected right away. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would assume people, especially like you said, in the education sphere or who serve communities uh, who who need accessibility more so than others, you know, I can think of like theme parks or, or like you said, public service types of situations. Service, you would, yeah. yeah. You definitely want to cover that. Sure. Uh, I guess for a final question, Nicole, in terms of accessibility overall, is there like a, a moral uh, precedent here that we should also talk about? Do you think that, I mean, is it the right thing to do for us to make our websites accessible? I absolutely think we should be thinking about when creating websites to include everyone. Um, so yes, I, I do think that that that, that is uh, that should be top of mind for designers and developers and then people, you know, with businesses that want to be inclusive. So yes. Okay. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing some of these tips with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Until next time. So to our audiences, thank you. You joined us again for another episode and we appreciate your patronage. And remember, you can expect a new episode every week and it's always going to be filled with advice that's going to help you grow your business. And remember, if you're looking for an experienced, friendly, and results-driven team that can help you in your business, Check out Risen by going to GoRisen.com or following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn by searching for the username Risen Inbound. Remember, you can help us reach new people too. If you just take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app of choice, you could even just do the stars and not leave an actual text review, but any chance where you can help us be able to uh, rank up a little bit higher. If you're enjoying what we're doing, we would appreciate that support. So thanks again for all you do for tuning in and supporting the show. And we hope this has been a value for you in whatever business you find yourself in. And remember, we will see you on the next episode next week. <laughs>